Welcome to the second episode of NBA Hang Times, celebrating Seku Smith series. My name is Morgan Mitchell, and I'm a member of this podcast production team. I had the privilege of working with Seku daily in the NBA bubble, and I'm so thankful for the time that we got to spend together. His infectious laugh, his energy, his poise, and just love of life are things that I'm so grateful that I got to experience. And with that, I want to welcome in Jamel Hill and Mark Spears to tell some of their wonderful memories of Seku as well. Well, to start off, I just want to know, when did you each meet Seku? And Jamel, let's start with you. As for Seku and I, we met, um, this would have been 1996. Uh, I was 20 years old, and we were both interns at the Cleveland Plain Dealer. And the irony was that I was a sports intern and Sekou was actually the news intern or one of the news interns, I should say. And we were in an office of where we were supposed to fill up, fill out our paperwork because we started the, the same day. And we were just kind of in this, you know, kind of waiting area. And I, at first, when we started out, it, it was like a row of chairs and I was on one end and Sekou was on another. And of course, when I came through the door, um, you know, I gave him the universal black head nod to see what would happen. And, you know, he hit me with the head nod back. So it was like, okay, all right. So he might be okay. And then, um, I don't know how it happened, but within say 15 or 20 minutes, he was, he, he had gone from being on one end of these chairs to like sitting right next to me. And we were laughing and joking and, and, you know how Sekou is, or people who know him know that he can roast with the best of them. And so he roasted everybody that's like walking past us that we see him. And I just, I thought right away he had such an infectious, just really terrific and wonderful personality. And from then on, the rest of the internship, I mean, we were thick as thieves. Like you couldn't see one of us without seeing the other person. You know, it was a great summer, especially you're coming into an internship situation you don't know a lot of people living in the city I've never lived in. So to have his friendship, uh, it really, you know, meant a lot. And so it was just kind of dope too, especially when you're used to going into these situations and uh, being one of the few black people, or it's not a lot, though the Cleveland newsroom was a little bit more diverse, but within our intern class, it wasn't a lot of us. And so for us to be able to strike up a friendship uh, within this internship class, as well as with the other interns, I should say, it was really, um, you know, something that was, was great and, and a memorable summer for me. I think for me, you know, a lot of us Black journalists, we, we meet for the first time at the National Association of Black Journalists Conventions. I believe I met Sekou at one of the conventions, but, you know, where we ended up really becoming friends was from covering NBA. Uh, you know, we started covering the NBA around the same time, about 20 years ago. You know, my first... NBA gig was covering the Nuggets for the Denver Post and his was covering uh, the Pacers for the Indianapolis Star. And so if he came to Denver or if I came to Indy, you know, we, we would connect. And it's kind of like a, a NABJ thing. You know, whoever comes to somebody's city, that whoever lives there has to host them and take them out to dinner and hang out if you hang out. And so, you know, we certainly did that. He would always take me to some soul food restaurant in Indianapolis or something like that. But, you know, myself and him and, and Arthur Trish, who was PR guy from the Hawks and very instrumental in getting, you know, Sekou uh, the job in, in, in Atlanta, 
Trish always called us the three best friends that anybody could have playing off that movie. I forgot what movie it was. Um, it's The yeah. Hangover. <laughs> Is that The Hangover? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. we're the three best friends that anyone could have. And I hate that I know that, but it's true. <laughs> yeah, you, you sing it better than them, you know. But uh, so he, he called us that. And, like, if we were at All-Star Game or if we were at the finals or when he covered the Hawks and I was in Atlanta, we, we were getting together. We're always getting together, and, and we, and we always roasted each other. Um, he used to call me uh, – I shouldn't say this because this is on a podcast thing, but he would call me and he'd say, hey, what's up, B.I.G.? He called me B.I.G. because I'm a big dude. One time we were hanging out in Windsor, Canada, and on the way back, the guy asked for his ID, and he looked at it. He goes, S-E-K-O-U. So every time I see him, I say, S-E-K-O-U. You know, so – we, we couldn't go two minutes without cracking on each other and, and thick skids. We always would have, it'd just be funny, man. We never took it personal. But from that point on, not only do we always call and talk about, talk to each other about our lives and what was going on. We talked hoop and we didn't always agree, but I always respected what he had to say. And actually my last phone call to him was after the James Harden trade. I, I wanted to hear, you know, I knew he had a hot take, you know, I knew he had something impressive to say. Or, and, and unfortunately that was our last phone call. And that was when I, I first learned that he, he was sick. And talking about that, um, just you all growing together in this industry. One thing that I really appreciated was that Seku always showed love um, and always spoke to people with respect. And it was never, oh, you're young, so da-da-da. It was always, he talked to you like a peer. Um, with you guys all growing together in this industry, how were you all able to support each other? And were there times that you kind of leaned on each other or Seku um, to get strength to go from one challenge to the next? I hate that I never really got a chance to to tell him this um, while he was still with us. It's like I learned a lot about reporting just by watching Seku. Um, I remember once I was in Atlanta and we linked up and he asked me if I wanted to go to a, a, a Hawks game. So I was like, yeah, cool. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll roll with you. And he's one of the few reporters probably in a number of NBA arenas, but especially Atlanta, Indy, places where he really kind of made his reputation. He could go in and out of any area without a press pass. He didn't need one. You know, he knew everybody from, you know, administrative assistants to janitors to players, obviously, to some of their families, to all the coaches. He knew everybody. And from him, as somebody who was developing as a beat reporter, I just learned the value in doing that. Because a lot of times, reporters who cover beats, they only come talk to you when they need something. And he was a master at carrying on relationships, whether he needed something from you or not. And I think that's why players and people felt so comfortable uh, talking to him because he was always fair, um, genuine. And, you know, he was able to do this in a way that even if he was writing something that I guess could be perceived as negative or, you know, wasn't through the rosy colored glasses that sometimes a team would like for you to write things through, that they always respected what he wrote because they knew it didn't come from a malicious place. And that's a very delicate thing to try to balance. 
Now, going back to 2017, when I'm in the biggest controversy of my career, um, I went back just to take a look recently, because uh, I know we were communicating a little bit during that time. And uh, the great thing about Sekou is that uh, he certainly had a way of where he would outwardly show his support. He certainly voiced it to me, you know, privately. But because, you know, he had this feel for it being a, a tense time for me, he was always able to crack a couple jokes um, within that so that one, I knew that his support for me remained the same, um, despite the fact that it was very tumultuous and a great number of my friends and colleagues and associates were being made to answer for something I had said and that, you know, put them in an unfair position. But he let me know that he was, you know, my friend for life, ride or die. And um, being able to kind of bring some levity to the situation was was really a relief for me because at the time I was just having so much, so many conversations about either my job status or um, having to handle this massive national controversy. It just felt good to talk to somebody where that wasn't the weight of the conversation. And, you know, it can be difficult, I think, when you're growing in the industry with peers to where sometimes they feel a need to compete with you or like a layer of competition gets brought in that brought in there, but it never felt that way with Sekou, not just with me, but I'm sure with anybody who do him, is that he was so comfortable in his ability in himself that you never, ever got the sense that he was competing with you, um, that everything that he told you always came from a, a genuine and constructive place. Yeah, I knew he was respected um, <laughs> when I went to a game in Indianapolis after he left. And there was a picture of him on the wall in the, in the media room. <laughs> I'm like, dang, what did you do here? You didn't play for Why you got this picture up on the wall? And that's just, you know, they had pictures of some of their past journalists who covered a team that was really respected. And I think he, uh, he, he broke the color barrier in Indianapolis and got his picture on the wall. And um, to Jamel's point, he was certainly the mayor of the Pacers when he covered the Pacers. He was a mayor of the Hawks when you covered the Hawks. And, you know, I always loved that the players sought him out. Like, that, that's hard to do is make it where the players uh, want to speak to you. Something comes up, they, they hey, can I, get, can I get Sekou on the phone? He built their trust. He always was fair. But if something happened, he wrote about it. I think that's what, why the players um, with the Hawks, with the Pacers, and then eventually with the NBA, always felt like they could bring their guard down with him because they knew it was always going to be fair. They knew he was going to give them a chance to have a voice. And, and they knew that uh, even when there was nothing work-wise, he was going to make them laugh. The dude could have been a, a comedian if he wanted to. And so I, he, he's one of the, to me, the kings of the locker room, the kings of the walk-away interview or the one-on-one -on -one time. Or Good luck if you were covering the beat with him because – he was going to get everything, every ounce from the players that he could get that you probably couldn't get. Yeah, and I think that's a great point about him just being so comfortable with himself. And I think, at least from our conversations, it felt like a lot of that had to do with he knowing who he was as a person outside of his career. Um, and he spoke so beautifully about his family and not in a way that was like annoying, but in a way that you were like, wow, like, 
they are amazing people that you are so proud to be related to, to have created this. And I know that he's had those conversations with everybody. Is there anything that you guys learned about relationships or family or anything that really has stuck with you? For me, as somebody who knew, you know, the college version of Seku, is that it was such a treat to see him evolve into this great husband and father. Because um, back in, you know, 1996 and 1997, and he had a way of, of doing this in a, in a very charismatic way. It's like, uh, Seku always, I think some people um, thought he had a, a tougher exterior than he actually had. And, uh, you know, because he was always roasting people and, Uh, He definitely didn't mind, even as a young person, sort of playing the cranky old man, if you will. And as you know, when you become a husband or a father, there's a certain vulnerability that has to occur for you to make that evolution. And so over the course of time, it was just it was great to see him kind of tap into that, um, because that's what fatherhood and being a husband kind of forces you you to do. And um, I always thought that uh, given how close he was to his own family, I knew he would be a great husband and father because of how much um, and how high of esteem he held his own parents' marriage and, and his relationship with his siblings. Like those things, and even his friends, his very close friends, those relationships mattered to him and they were really important. And he was very good at doing something that a lot of us fail, it, fail at, which is maintaining the connection, maintaining the link. and, and today's world especially, we all get so busy and caught up in our own lives that we don't check in with each other as often as we should. And he was very good at checking in with people and making sure you were okay and seeing how things were going and and just maintaining um, the link. He constantly, Heather, Heather, Heather this, Heather that, Heather don't like what I'm eating. I got to eat better. Heather's going to get mad at me. Heather, 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 like I, he would talk about Heather all the time. And especially in a bubble, I, I, every day I got a Heather update, got a kid update. He would FaceTime with his dad, talk trash with him for about 45 minutes, you know. And probably the funniest story from being in the bubble with him was like, you know, we used to hang out a lot, whether it was riding bikes or coordinate when we got on the bus to go to the games or when we went to eat dinner or if we ordered takeout. No, and you know, when we got our haircuts, but we would always eat breakfast a lot together. And I remember one day he, he, you know, beat me to the breakfast room or the media dining room. And he was like, down. I'm like, look like he was mad. I'm like, man, what's wrong with you? He's like, man, my daughter, she got a, she got a tattoo yesterday. And I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah. And I was like, well, what, what was the occasion? She's like, she, turned 21, so she got a tattoo. And her mom was in, Heather was in cahoots the whole time. She knew, they plotted, they, they, she knew, and, and they went and got this tattoo. I was like, well, is, is it much of anything? And I think he said it was on her wrist or like, it wasn't no like big old giant tattoo or nothing like that. He said, yeah, but they, they told me after the fact, they, they were in cahoots together the whole time. I said, well, she a good kid? Yeah, I said, well, I'll let it go. But like, yeah, you're right. And he went back to eating breakfast. <laughs> so, like, you know, it was cool because every day I would get a, a story about his his dad or or his sisters or, his, you know, family members, his sons, his daughter, oftentimes Heather. But every day it was, um, you know, we were in a bubble. I got some cool, fun story about their family. And 
you know, how, how much uh, they love each other. And you could tell by, uh, you know, the, the, the strong communication. Yeah, Sekou definitely loved to have a great time um, and was always laughing, even if he was grumpy for like five to ten minutes at a time, he would get over it. What are some or what is your favorite event that you worked with Sekou or just like a funny moment that you had with him? Man, that is tough. Uh, it's a lot. I mean, I guess the the main thing I, I think about probably when we spent the most time together it was definitely in Cleveland because we, I mean, we saw each other probably um every day but and then we'd always especially when i covered start covering the nba uh, a little bit more i see him a little bit um then but i guess uh, you know kind of the <laughs> funniest thing i remember is that me and my um my best friend kelly carter who works you know um works with mark at the undefeated um you know we both again we know uh since we were all in college and he gave uh, I, I don't think I've told this story publicly, but he gave Kelly and I nicknames because, like, it, that's how you knew that he really liked you and and you were in is like if he gave you a nickname. And so it, it, the story, in many ways, didn't make any sense, but we we just laughed about it for. I mean, we still laugh about it for a good twenty years. So he used to call me and um, me and Kelly Boosie and Gucci because. Uh, Gucci stands for ghetto hoochie because he got a kick out of the fact that Kelly, with her being, um, you know, she's from suburban Detroit and her parents, uh, you know, are, are educators. So she has had a pretty traditional Brady-esque upbringing in many respects. But when it comes to knowing like all the ratchet songs, all the ratchet, you know, artists, Kelly knew, knows them word for word, like every ratchet song. And then she just had this other side of her personality that people wouldn't guess based off how she presents herself, you know, they would think she was a little bit more conservative than she actually is, but he would see her in these urban moments and it, he would get such a tickle, a kick out of it. So he called her Gucci and he called me Boosie because <laughs> he told us this story that didn't make any sense whatsoever. But the genesis of it was that a friend of his was uh, nicknamed Boosie and he had like spent the night over at a friend's house and he just heard their little loud country uncle just saying like boosie boosie and so he just thought that nickname was so damn funny and that i don't know how but he started calling me boosie so whenever kelly and i were together he was like oh because he would say that we were basically the hood version of laverne and shirley and so he would just be like boosie and gucci sort of became um a thing and we also uh you know used to mess with him over the years because we'll we'll never forget how he told us to go see baby boy and he was like man y'all gotta see this movie it's like one of the best movies i've ever seen and we like okay all right we all in we went to see baby boy and i i think we talked to him i don't know if it was immediately after but soon immediately after and we were just like this one of the most ghetto movies that we have ever seen in our life entertained us for sure but you were talking about this like it was terms of endearment or something <laughs> that was gonna go down in cinematic history. And he just was like, no, but it was like, you know, he has this critique of it that, you know, no disrespect to the late John Singleton, but you know, the movie, it does have a certain urban reflection of culture, but the way he talked about it was just, you know, like, you know, we were talking about, uh, you know, color purple or something. I was like, this is baby boy. <laughs> so, we used to, to, to the end of time, we just teased him about giving us awful movie reviews. And again, that was like our thing, the fact that he called us Boosie and Gucci. So I'll, I'll kind of always remember that whenever I take a Seku. 
this is kind of funny. Like, so before I was in bubble for 90 days, he came about with about 30 days left, maybe 40 days left, I think. And so he had to quarantine. And so he called me before asking me all kinds of questions about what it was like. And I was giving him all the like tips on what he had to do and what he had to have before he got there. So he, he, he certainly came ready for everything, but the lack of food in the quarantine. So the first day he called me in a panic, man, they ain't fed me yet. Man, I'm hungry. They, didn't, they hardly gave me any food. And I'm like, I got you, man. I got you. So we had this like covert operation where I got a bag, um, you know, at, during lunchtime. And I, we weren't supposed to give anybody in quarantine any snacks or any food or anything like that. But I made sure that he had a hot meal. And I put all the good snacks in there, like the Nutter Butters. I think I had the Mickey Mouse ice cream, chips. Um, some healthy stuff, you know, some some trail mix and stuff like that. Some different like Gatorades and like like literally filled this bag up where it was like 20 pounds. I like walked up to the third floor, walked to his room, dropped the bag down and, and text him, open the door now, open the door now. So he opened it up and texted me back, my brother, man, thank you. I'm good. So I, I don't I don't know that Heather was too happy about him getting all those snacks, all the bad snacks that I sent him. But uh, I remember a couple of days later, I liked the next day. I'm like, you need anything? He's like, nah, man, you, you gave me enough snacks for like a month. I'm good. <laughs> we had some funny bike rides where he, he fell down twice. But to me, it showed me how tough he was. You know, like he cut himself both times and, and, and he got up. And then one time, the last time he fell, the bike fell on top of him. And uh. I wish we had it on camera, but we felt bad, so we didn't tape it. But he was struggling to get up, and the bike wasn't budging. And it was like it was him and the bike both trying to get up at the same time. And, and it, it took a couple minutes, man. It looked like something out of a, like a comedy movie or something like that. And him struggling with his bike on top of him, and he's bleeding. And, and he's trying to be cool like it didn't hurt, but it did hurt. And But, like, he finally got back on and got back on the bike like it wasn't nothing, you know? and kept riding the rest of the way. Yes, I was there for the bike incident, so I can attest to it being a full mess, um, but hilarious. <laughs> it, it, I was like, oh my God, the medical kits, you need anything? He's like, no. One, another thing was say he was, he was always helping people. Um, I don't think he necessarily was trying to mentor everybody, but I think he just happened to pass on great work advice to people and was always ready and willing to answer questions. Um, if you guys have any good advice that he shared um, from working in this industry that you guys would like to share with people who may or may not get to learn about him um, in the ways that you guys did, that would be something great that I think could be passed on. Well, I think, you know, kind of the biggest thing, um, you know, with him is he was the quintessential example of, of how to work a beat. And unfortunately, it's a bit of a lost art these days, just in the sense of that there's not a lot of publications, you know, because of money, other factors. Uh, it seems like the number and pool of people who are able to dedicate beat reporters to cover a particular team or a particular sport seems to be dwindling, dwindling a little bit. And I know for a lot of younger journalists that, they may not get that experience. And, you know, one of the main things, uh, principles that I think Sekou, you know, embodied is 
it's not just how you work a beat, but in also remembering that you're covering real people and to be accountable uh, for what you write that may be a critique that they might like, might not like. So he definitely was one of those guys who, if he wrote something that had to be more critical of a player, I mean, he was showing up and giving them their opportunity if they had something to say back. It's kind of pains me to talk about him in past tense. I, I even though he's gone, man, I, I, I still feel his presence, you know, man, and it, it just pains me that he, you know, he's not here, but he is here to me. You know, I, I, I feel his presence every day and, you know, try to, uh, you know, laugh to keep from crying. Cause there were so many things that he did were great. And so many things that did to make me smile. And I think he, he also did a lot of his mentoring quietly. He, and, I, and I think that's what I always respect about him. And I, I've seen a lot of people reflect on him is, you know, you, you have sadly, you know, journalists, um, that want to be stars badly and just don't naturally let it happen. He didn't care about being no star. He didn't care about his Twitter followers or his IG followers or how many interviews he was doing. He, he cared about his trade and he, he really, really led by example. And so the fact that you see like the NBA, the Pacers, the Hawks, who just, you know, got a scholarship in his honor, the internship in his honor, name a press room in his honor, uh, countless players, journalists. You know, there's so many people that he touched without trying to, like, steal the spotlight, be the spotlight, be the loudest person in the room, be the most, you know, this, the most, that. Everything he did was just him. It was natural. And he was so talented and, and so smart and, and just was so good to people that he became a star without him even knowing it or even, you know, trying to know it. And I was just always amazed that, like, he treated everybody the same. He didn't care if you were a superstar player or somebody just starting their career. He talked to everybody. Felt like everybody was his best friend and he had time for them. And he's just like a sweet, good man. And so the fact that he got the respect nationally that he did, that a lot of teams had a moment of silence for him, put press seating for him, to me showed me that that's respect, man. That's love. That's, um, that's somebody that they felt had an impact now and will forever. So that's the thing I think to learn from him is, if you do your job greatly, the accolades will come without you even trying to get them. And he certainly has that. I think that it was said beautifully and not wonderful that we have to be here, of course, but glad that you two were able to join us to tell some great stories and share some great moments and keep Seku's legacy alive as we use this time to tell more people about him, even though, as you said, Mark, so many people were touched by him. We want to keep his legacy going and we're thankful for all the people who are showing love and showing the next generation a great man and how great you can be by just treating people well. 
If you'd like to make a donation to the Sekou Smith Journalism Award Scholarship at Jackson State University, visit www.jsums.edu backslash scholarships. That's www.jsums.edu backslash scholarships. Click Give on the top navigation bar and be sure to select the Sekou Smith Journalism Award from the Choose a Current Youth Scholarship menu. We are here on NBA Hang Time Podcast to celebrate our family, Seiku Smith, that we just lost recently. And we want to take these moments to have people talk about and celebrate him um, and a lot of the lessons that he passed down to us. So Master um, and Logan, I want to thank you guys for joining us as a way to pay tribute to a great man. Like you said, it's this is a very sad and disheartening way to jump on NBA hang time, especially after both of us, which is on it with Sekou a month ago. Um, but you know, we had to honor a great man that looked out for people like me and Logan and a bunch of other people and and, and celebrate his legacy, man. Because uh, all this that NBA hang time wouldn't exist without him. Uh, and there's so many memories that I have as a fan of just enjoying Sekou on NBA TV that um, it's just an honor to be able to share all that. It was great to always just, I was a big fan of Sekou, man. And it was uh, great to see somebody that looked like me that was on television, that was on NBA TV. I think Master and I were talking about this beforehand, man. Like to see somebody on NBA TV on a channel that was big for us growing up. You know, I was a big Hoops fan. And um, to see somebody that was, you know, the more I read about him and the more that I, I um, you know, just got to know him was – he was somebody that really set the foundation for me and master. When you talk about somebody that didn't really care about <laughs> dress code, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> hey, he had some fits, you know man. <laughs> bro, bro. And it's funny because it's just like, and that's something that me and master have kind of fought with just in, in our thing is just, uh, you know, how we dress and how we present ourselves and to see somebody that is just like, fight that was fighting the same battles and would still have the same response like nah man it's not about what we dress like it's about the work that we put in and it was great to um just be around somebody that was very inclusive man like i always uh always said to people whenever they brought up Sekou was like Sekou never spoke to me like i was he was above me um he always spoke to me like i was a peer when i was just not even anything in this business you know what i mean and i think that was big what do you think about master how was that when you were um first going up yeah man like th that validation you talked about bro like <clears throat> i mean jumping on the pod like you know I, I was so geeked to being able to just share like how much i've appreciated like his presence in this space and before i'm able to get a word out he's like oh man untold stories man that's my jam and it was like it was like a, a take back moment where it's like oh damn like he, he's a fan of me just as much as i'm a fan of him and i ain't even had a chance to tell him like like what, what it's been like being able to watch him over the last 11 years alternative sports and various platforms like you know, I didn't grow up with cable, so, you know, confession time, like, I used to bootleg NBA TV while I was in school on the laptop, and, you know, put the headphones in underneath my hoodie and just pretend like I'm doing work, but I'm watching Hardwood Classics, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, and Sekou popping in in between the Hardwood Classic games, 
leading up to the news and analysis that be happening and, and reading his stuff as a senior writer, uh, honor analyst, um, the, the MVP ladder. Like, man, that was a weekly check-in for me, bro. Just kind of see, I, I had to check to see what Se- who Sekou thought was was jumping in the climb in the, in the ratings. And, you know, me being a Mavs fan, I'm just, I'm looking to see where Dirk sat in position and just trying to see how he matches up with the Kobe's and the Shaq's and the bronze and then just it you know it was it was great content to consume as a fan on a weekly basis and most importantly for me i think the biggest thing that always sticks out to me as a fan uh, of seku uh when he went through that weight loss journey man you know what i'm saying you know not all of us was wearing slims all of our lives like logan you know what i'm saying some of us out here was wearing them dicky huskies you know what i'm saying and and it was a space of time for me while i was in college where i was really being more mindful of like mm-hmm. uh, uh my weight and just being healthier and just seeing him being able to openly, openly be vulnerable in that kind of space and share that. Uh, little did I know um, until I got into the industry that I realized like how much work you have to literally put in to make sure that you can eat healthy and lose weight in this industry that we're in because the temptations are all over you. Not to mention, like I was a college kid at the time, like he's got a whole family and, you know, thoughts and prayers to, to his wife and his three children. Uh, you know, we're definitely thinking about him. But managing all of that while also still trying to find time to stay disciplined in this space, man, like I had to make sure I let them know how much I appreciate that because it, it's once you're in those, when you're in that space now and understanding how demanding this job is, man, that ain't easy, man. Obviously, you guys talked about knowing Seiko as a fan, but when did you first actually meet him? And was it like you had like a fan moment where you wanted to thank him, or was it just like casual in ABJ? Do you guys remember when you first got to meet him? I don't remember the first time I met him. It probably was like 2016 because I interned at Turner. Um, I interned uh, in 2016 there and I was just always around. But the first time, like, I really, I didn't know he, it was one of those things where, you know, you're around somebody, but you don't really like accept that they know you. You know what I mean? Like I would be in all the, um, like the, the, the pre-show meetings and things like that. And he would be around. But then I, when we first got real cool was um, the 2017 uh, it was a Western Conference Finals because he came out when the Warriors were playing the Spurs and I was at uh, I was at another company I was at NBC Sports Bay Area back then and um, I was at that point I was still grinding trying to just get any way to just get a credential I think it was like the Ritz or something downtown uh, SF San Francisco and um, it was after Kawhi uh, rolled his ankle on Zaza's uh, foot. And um, he was, I remember just going in there and I remember just being really nervous to say hello to him because I was like, man, I, you still don't realize like this dude knows you, bro. Like he knows you, you've been around for a few months. So I remember just asking him, I remember just like asking him so many questions about the profession after I got that nervousness out. Um, I just kept asking him like, yo man, how did you, what did you do here in Atlanta? What did you do here when you were, um, you know, at Jackson state, you know what I mean? What were you, how did you get to this point and this point and this point? And, um, you know, I'm thinking, you know, when you know this master, when you're asking questions, you think like, man, I only got a certain amount of time to ask these questions. And I got 78 questions to ask this man in two minutes before a pop comes in. Right. And so, you know, and, and when you're in that mindset, you think, oh, this dude probably just annoyed, bro. Like I'm asking hella questions and stuff like that. And why, why, why is he, is he going to like answer them all? He answered every single question that I had and we've been cool ever since, you know what I mean? And, and um, he was always really gracious and, with his time and when like you said when he invited me on the show it was an honor man and i wanted to make sure we were texting each other bro like that was an honor man it was crazy it was like yo you know you it's one of those things where it was a validation that i didn't even know i needed bro that i was like this guy really is paying attention and he's a legend in my eyes and he's paying attention to me enough for him to have me on his show which was really a big deal for me 
Thanks, bro. Like, yeah, because I, I jumped on, like, I think two weeks before you did. And I think when you saw the clip, you're like, oh, man, I'm about to jump on, too. And we, me and you were just riffing on, like, how cool it was to be in this position with, like, people you just naturally just genuinely rock with as people, but then also for the talent as well. I just kind of give you that co-sign. I'm allowing you to share a platform in which, man, who knows what sweat equity he had to put into to build out, you know, NBA hang time in terms of blogging and podcast, bro, because... I'm sure as we know as black men, like it's a very difficult industry to break in through. And even if you're talented, the talent can only take you so far before other things, you know, resistance wise start to apply and that you can't control. And so just thinking of that in the back of my mind, just like how much of a privilege it was, uh, we was just riffing on that part. And, and it was just, it was cold, man. It was like, especially for me, because I mean, I come from the NFL side, obviously, and I've been a little bit more versatile now in terms of the things that I do. And, and um, you know, in terms of the NBA voice, like I don't, you know, there's still a lot of insecurities that exist in there because I wasn't a beat writer on a day-to-day basis. And for him, it's just kind of like Rock, which just wanted to talk about the Christmas Day games and talking about Luca and, you know, me coming in with my Luca jersey on, just coming in with energy, just ready to talk about the stuff. But I also dropped some gems. We was having a real genuine conversation, man. It, it was it was, it was, was dope, man. And like you said, like, there's something different about when an older black man in this industry that you have a great deal of respect for was able to just kind of give you that co-sign and that validation, man. And Seiko was that dude that was able to do that, man. And, and that's something that I will always be appreciative for. And I know you will be too, man. And you guys speak about like how important it was just seeing him, but was there any advice that you keep with you about being a black man in this industry that really helped you? I think for anything, for me, it was just the simple fact that he was watching what I was doing. Like that to me was more so like that was that was a big deal. And the simple fact of him just acknowledging the fact that he's watching this stuff like, you know, that to me was like that was a great feeling. And and seeing how much he appreciated that and the same emotional connection that he had with the content which I created that I had with his when I was in high school, when I was in college, when I was a young professional in this industry. Um, I mean, that to me just spoke louder than anything else. Uh, that was special. And it sounds very simple, but it's something that I don't think you really receive a lot in this industry in that kind of way, because it's very competitive. Um, and and Seiko kind of saw through all the competitiveness and just kind of realized like, you know, hey, there's there's very few of us here. Let's let's help each other out. Let's build this community out and, and make sure we encourage one another everywhere we can. And I think that's the biggest lesson which you could take away from it. It's just continuing to validate, validate and acknowledge, you know, other black people in this space and other people who come from marginalized communities in this space because there ain't too many of us in this space. And whenever we are in these different situations, like not to view it as like crabs in a barrel, you know, like, like really look out for one another and make sure that we, that we really encourage one another. One of the times, I think it was one of my first year. I can't remember when, but um, he, just, he, he didn't even know what I, I was going through. And I'll get to that in a second, but he just told me, be you, you know, and I think that was the biggest thing that I needed my first year um, covering the Warriors was, you know, I was going through a lot of identity crisis, um, you know, with clothes, with how I approached the beat, a lot of different things like that. It was more of a catch-up talk, right? It wasn't even like I was spilling my soul because I wasn't doing that back then. I kind of just took it on the chin a lot. But, um, you know, I just kind of told him how my, uh, you know, just how, how the beat was and stuff like that. And, and he just always he said, be you. And at that time, I needed it, you know? And at that time, I needed um, I needed that validation. I think uh, – you know, Sekou's words and also Marcus Thompson's words were great. Just one of those, that consistent message of just, um, it don't matter about anything but the work. And it doesn't matter about, um, you know, how you're, you know, obviously dress professional, obviously be professional, but it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. What matters is the stuff you put out. 
It matters, um, you know, the stories that you tell. It matters the perspective that you bring. And I think that was something that I really needed because that was something that I was really going through my first year. It was a lot of different things um, going at me with the, uh, at least internally, my first year on the Warriors beat. And, you know, those words really stuck with me, man. I think that, um, and then when you read a story, it was like, that's exactly what he was doing. And I think that brought me comfort. It was like, I wasn't alone. And this is before, like, I really was cool with Master. Um, you know, that I, you know, that there was, it was the first, one of the first times where I thought, okay, other people are going through my struggle. Other people are going through what I'm going through. Other people are, um, can empathize with what I'm going through. And it's cool to be me. It's, it's that's okay too. Um, because I think a lot of, and you know, Master, we talk about this all the time, man. I think a lot of young journalists try to be the try to be the idea of what they think a journalist is instead of just being themselves. And I think the first, that was one of the first times where I was just like, yo, I can be myself. I can't, I don't have to be the idea of what I think a journalist should be. And Sekou was a big, uh, a big part of that. So, you know, I always appreciate him for that. Yeah. I think one of my favorite things is that Sekou genuinely enjoyed his job and enjoyed seeing people around him doing great things. Um, and you two obviously embody that so well. Um, but there were also like fun moments that didn't have to necessarily do with work or just funny things in general. Um, it's like we love to laugh. So are there any of your like favorite moments or just stuff that you think about that just makes you laugh now? I remember one time we was at the finals, man, and I was telling him, and it kind of it hurt my soul, bro. I can't even lie. I, uh, I was like, man, you know, like, where are you staying? Because, you know, that's a common thing of like, you know, journalists, like, yo, where, where are you staying? What's the, what's the hotel? You know what I mean? Or what's the, what's the place you're staying? <laughs> you know, I was like, yo, bro, um, where are you staying? He was like, yo, I'm staying in San Francisco. And I'm like, why you do that, man? Like, you know, the city, you know, Oakland is great. You know, Oakland is, uh, you know, there's a good, there's a sit, there's a, you know, nice hotel right there, right adjoining the practice. So he was like, nah, man, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't come all the way to the Bay Area to come to Oakland. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, bro, my soul was hurting, bro. Like, imagine, like, imagine somebody, right? They come into Dallas, right? And you're like, yo, Irvin is is clean, bro. Irvin is lit, and you're like, yo, Irvin, come see the Irvin, and they're like, nah, fam, nah, I'll pass. I go to Fort Worth. <laughs> I, I wouldn't tell people to go to Irvin. So, say you probably had the right thing in mind, bro, because <laughs> you probably tell you probably try to get them to go to that Marriott, right? <laughs> exactly, bro. But at the time, the Warriors were playing. I, it, it made a all the sense in the world to me, like the Warriors play right there. There's Man, nothing no, around the no, Marriott, no, though. No. My soul was hurt. <laughs> I was like, yo. Man, I was, that was funny, though, man. With that, obviously, there's a lot of people looking up to you guys now. How do you carry out that message of being you? And, you know, obviously, we've all been in spaces together where there's so many generations in the industry that are in a single room, right? And you know that there's eyes on you. So I have seen both of you guys grow a lot and been privileged to that, not knowing the Seku um, influence behind it, but how do you guys carry on that legacy? I mean, the biggest thing we do is be ourselves. Uh, I think, you know, especially in the positions that we're in, there's a lot of ways in which you can level up, but also lose yourself as a result of that. But, you know, seeing that Seku is somebody that can look himself in the mirror and still be proud of who he is and the growth that he's making, I mean, that's that's what I strive for in my own life. I know for a fact that's what Logan strives for. And I think ultimately it just kind of shows that we're also representations of our childhood, of, of the environments which grew up, we grew up in, the communities in which we were raised in. Um, and, and ultimately that's really how you get people to understand uh, 
the, how beautiful uh, black people are and then the, and, the, and the different variables in which we come from you know what i'm saying whether it's from the south whether it's from the bay you know what i'm saying whether it's from texas like we we all have a lot of commonalities but those distinctions in those different regions is really what makes us different and that's that's there's a lot of beauty in that and being able to display that on this kind of platform is is significant you know, I, I take a lot of great pride in being able to represent where I'm from and, and the things that I'm, I'm attracted to and not necessarily things that I feel like the industry makes you think that is very attractive uh, due to simple fact of like what comes with the positions in which we're in. I mean, Saiku did that. Yeah, I think, yeah, to piggyback on that, I think being the example that, the same example that Saiku was for us, right? And making sure you're letting young journalists know that, you know, they can be themselves within the realm of professionalism, right? As long as you're getting your stories done and you're doing your job, I think you can, um, you know, you, that's the example that I want to do. I want to do the same example that, um, you know, that Sekou gave to me, that Marcus Thompson gave to me, honestly, that Master gave to me as well, um, that, you know, you can do this looking like, you can look, do it looking like us. And I think that that's important in general in journalism because journalism is about telling everyone's story, man. And that's another topic of access in this profession. We need to show people that, yes, you can do this too. Yes, you can be master. Yes, you can be me. Yes, you can be Morgan. Yes, you can be Sean Bartley, who's a producing this, right? Like you can do all these things being yourself. And if you're yourself, the coverage is only going to be that much greater because you're doing it your own way. Thanks. And I feel like when, we, when, I, when I see young journalists, you know, and I was, and I'm not saying this to look down because I was this person. I was the person that felt I had, like I said, had to be a certain way, had to dress a certain way to be respected and to, and, but I wound up when I was doing that, I wound up, I was just telling the same stories as everybody else. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think I want to preach the importance. And I know master wants to do this, um, is preach the importance of being yourself and telling the stories that you want to tell. You don't have to tell all the time the analytic story that's great if that's your bag but you don't always have to tell the cliche stories right you can tell the stories that are organic to you you know what i mean shout out my dude larry june man shout out shout out to larry june just be you bro keep it organic man you know what i mean and do them numbers bro keep it organic bro i feel like that's the example that i want to do is just the same example that Sekou gave to me i just want to give to everybody else and um, i think the journalism profession is great because Sekou was in it and I, it's our responsibility to make sure that it keeps being at this standard for the next generation. If you're watching this, make sure you donate to the Jackson State University Scholarship Fund under Sekou's name. Let's keep this legacy alive. Let's keep this thing rolling. Let's make sure that people don't forget what a great man he was. I think you two are a wonderful representation of the legacy that he leaves. And I thank both of you for joining us to discuss our brother Sekou and as a great reminder, there's room for everybody at the table. We just have to create more seats. If you'd like to make a donation to the Seku Smith Journalism Award Scholarship at Jackson State University, visit www.jsums.edu backslash scholarships. That's www.jsums.edu backslash scholarships. Click Give on the top navigation bar and be sure to select the Seiku Smith Journalism Award from the Choose a Current Youth Scholarship menu. Due to the outpouring of love from the NBA community, we wanted to give Seiku's friends from around the league an opportunity to share a memory, story, or kind word. Hi, this is Chris Miles. 
Sekou was a star to me. The first time I saw him at NABJ down in New Orleans, he was getting some food, and I just, like, ran up on him. And I told him one day, we do a show together. And he looked at me like he really didn't have any clue as to who I was. But he was cool about it, dapped me up, and he said, good luck. Well, two years later, first time we actually did uh, a show together once I started working at NBA TV, he actually remembered that. I didn't think he would. And that first year, whenever we did a show together, I would get so excited to, like, run ideas past him and uh, anything we were doing in a show that apparently I used to punch him in the shoulder without realizing it. And Sekou, you know, one day was, like, in a real cool way, he was just, hey, stop doing that, man. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, apologize. And that's it. Like, that's the most we ever disagreed on, never got into uh, any issues, and he was just cool about everything. And I think what we conversed about most were things off the basketball court. He talked about his kids and how spoiled they were on vacation, uh, how much he loved Michigan. And if we were working on a Sunday during the NFL season, the game had to be on. He loved Tom Brady. And so uh, when the Super Bowl was played this year and Brady won his seventh, I thought of Sekou too. And if I'm blessed enough to have kids and take them on vacation and they're spoiled, I think of uh, Sekou then too. And I think of Sekou every time I hear somebody say it or uh, read somewhere where you see go blue. Peace and blessings to the entire family. Uh, this has been some good will from uh, Yahoo Sports. Uh, me and Sekou had um, – some pretty interesting conversations. Uh looked at him as a I'm not quite a big brother, maybe like a old grumpy uncle. And I didn't realize it until, you know, you start thinking about the totality of of your relationship, you know, with someone as these events tend to do, but um I never went through a big life change, a big career change. Uh, without asking him, without consulting him. And that that speaks to the respect, the immense respect that I had for him. Me and Sekou's, I want to say the genesis, but one of the biggest things we had in common was just our love for, you know, Michigan football. You know, just when when you're in this business, you lose a little bit of that fan. Uh, You can still be a fan of the game. You can be a fan of certain plays, but you can't. You can't fully geek out. You can't emotionally invest into anything. And, you know, because we're both Michigan natives, you know, we could bond over our frustration uh, with Michigan football and use all the same, you know, four-letter words, ten-letter words uh, that the fans that we often that we often chide uh, do with their favorite teams. And we would sound like fans. And it was like this reminder that there was still something, you know, there was something still pumping, you know, despite the business being, you know, what it is and making us uh, change a little bit of who we are. We were still, there was still something there. And, you know, Sekou was, in addition to him being, you know, like grouchy, almost like like an uncle, you know, like I said, boys like an uncle with sandals at the barbecue, you know, 
telling people to stop running around too fast and everything else, but he was one of the most genuine, most genuine people that you could, you know, ever come across, you know, so comfortable in his own skin. Like you don't run across people like that in this business or in life uh, who are comfortable with, you know, who they are, with what, what they're accomplishing uh, in their career and their lives. And you could easily see that with, you know, how he talked about his family, how he loved his kids, you know, where he thought their lives were going, where he thought his own life was going. Hi, this is Brendan Haywood. Just wanted to say a few words about my brother, Sekou Smith, who obviously is no longer with us anymore. And just talk about the type of man that he was. And he was just somebody that was always giving, always willing to help, always lit up the room. Um, like, I just remember working, you know, sometimes in the studio, those nights can be long. It's always great when you're working with somebody like Sekou just because of his personality, his demeanor. Uh, I remember just, you know, in between breaks, he was always talking about his kids and just everything. So just, you know, losing Sekou was like losing a brother just because he was just that type of person. I could I could talk about basketball, well, we might talk about what's going on in the world or what's going on just with our families. And we just had that type of bond, man. So I'm, I'm definitely going to miss Seku, my man, uh, AKA Snooky. He used to always, we used to call each other Snooky, uh, because that was our favorite episode of Martin with the one with, uh, where Martin went to LA, man. So he, he, every time he see me from way down the hallway, as soon as he see me, his eyes would light up. He'd be like, what up, Snook? And so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to miss that, man. My, uh, it, it's just the camaraderie and the brotherhood and just, just somebody that was truly a great person and, and the world is definitely going to miss Sekou Smith and not only what he brought to basketball, but just what he brought to society. Hi, it's Kristen Ledlow. The last time Sekou and I spoke, he celebrated the life that I was welcoming into my world. The life that I'm holding in my lap just a few weeks into my time away from work as I become a mother. And Seku said with this knowing sigh, oh, enjoy the ride. Because he did. Because for as many years as we spent talking about basketball when the cameras were on, we spent hours talking about life during the commercial breaks. His was marked by that unique balance that is loving the job without living the job, the balance that weighs work and life on the appropriate scale. My work and my life were made better because they intersected his. I'll miss you, friend. Hi, this is Casey Johnson. Uh, I cover the Bulls in Chicago, and this is my Sekou Smith story. Like a lot of people, I've known Sekou for a long time. I first met him when he started covering the Pacers for the Indianapolis Star. But I wanted to share uh, one particular story, uh, even though we spent a lot of time together over the years in media rooms. We were also over in Spain together for the 2014 FIBA World Cup. Um, like everybody else, you couldn't help but love Sekou every time you talked to him. But one story really stands out because it's, you know, one of the more substantive recent ones. Uh, it was a little before the 2020 NBA All-Star Game. And Sekou called me um, to talk to me about Derrick Rose and what he meant to the city of Chicago. Yeah, I covered Derrick's entire Bulls run here. In uh, Chicago, I'm a lifelong Chicagoan myself. Um, 
you know, and as usual with Seku, when he calls you and, and talks to you, you know, it starts with family and you're catching up on family and just sharing where you're at in your lives, um, stuff like that. Um, I had recently left the Chicago Tribune after 29 years and joined NBC Sports Chicago in more of a hybrid role with some TV responsibilities. And Seku was really supportive and curious about how my experience was going with that, you know, typical Seku stuff. And then, you know, he just naturally moves into the interview portion of the of the uh, conversation and talks to me about Derek. And it was a great talk, and we hung up and kind of forgot about it and just moved on with my day. And a couple weeks later, right before the NBA All-Star game, you know, I'm checking Seku's work on NBA.com, and he just drops this, you know, perfect piece on Derek Rose in which he – Interviews Isaiah Thomas, Jabari Parker, Kendrick Nunn, Quentin Richardson, Eric Gordon, just, just about what Derek meant to this city. I mean, I, having covered Derek his entire career here and written a lot of pieces about it myself, I'm sitting there reading it with my jaw dropped open. And that, that to me is Seku. I mean, he just made the professional look so easy, even though it isn't. And he did it um, with care and conscientiousness and love and concern and you know, <laughs> I'm quoted in the piece as well. Uh, I didn't feel worthy uh, at times, but he made me feel worthy because uh, just of his touch and his conversational approach to the whole situation. So, uh, man, uh, I, I've said this many times. I, I've rarely seen something connect our NBA community as his tragic passing did. I mean, the amount of time spent talking to colleagues and friends about Seku and his impact on, on all of our lives has been both uh, obviously very sad, but also very powerful. And Seiku's 